0: You're listening to Living Lab Radio. I'm Heather Goldstone. We all know we're supposed to eat a balanced diet, a healthy mix of fruits, veggies, proteins, fats, and fibers. I won't go on. The point is, research is suggesting that the same is true when it comes to social behavior. Both alone time and time with other people is important to mental health and well-being. And for that matter, not all social time is the same. Large groups and new people are different from small gatherings of close friends or family. And my next guest says all of it is part of a balanced social diet. Jeff Hall is a professor of communication studies at the University of Kansas. He's also chair for the Human Communication and Technology Division of the National Communication Association. Jeff, welcome to the show.
1: Hello. It's good to be here.
0: So this idea of kind of a balanced diet seems logical, but on the other hand, a lot of the advice we hear is just straight up, more social interaction is better for well-being. So how new or controversial is this idea of actually getting a mix of different types of social time and, for that matter, alone time?
1: That was very much one of the motivations of the study, was the idea that all I had heard for years was this recommendation that we just should be spending more time interacting, both with close friends and family, but also with our weak tie relationships or people that we don't know as much. And I think that really that kind of misses the picture because I think of social interaction as part of kind of a homeostatic system where we need to kind of recharge our batteries and have some time alone in order to have the most meaningful interactions.
0: It also seems that there may be differences in what is uh, a healthy or balanced social diet for a given person, right? We've got different personality types, people who are really introverted, people who are really extroverted, people who thrive on social interaction, people who find it really difficult. So has that been taken into account at all in the research on well-being?
1: One of the fascinating things about the relationship between social interaction and well-being, and when I mean well-being, I mean like life satisfaction, loneliness, And one of the things that's interesting is that social interaction seems to function independently of personality. So I think your intuition is correct. But one of the things that's kind of missing from the story is the idea that it can't just be the case that we are constantly trying to have these high intensity, very meaningful interactions with our friends and family. We all got to (laughs) work.
0: That we do. So you have developed this theory called communicate bond belong theory uh, in part to address some of the gaps and perhaps this more nuanced view of the relationship between social interaction and well-being. So lay that out. What exactly is that theory?
1: It is a theory of social interaction itself. The main reason for the theory is to try to understand the role that social interaction plays in our lives. And it begins with the assumption that we have a strong need to belong, which means that essentially we need to find enduring meaningful relationships that will will basically translate into our lives in a way that allows us to feel a sense of connection and belongingness to other people. The second major factor is this issue of time and energy. Uh, The theory presumes that we have only a limited amount of time and we only have a limited amount of energy in order to manage all of life's tasks. And social interaction is only one of life's many tasks. And the third component of this is that the content of the interaction and the who matter a lot. Some interactions are really high intensity and some barely take any work at all. So both interactions that are things such as a meaningful, deep conversation and also a conflict interaction takes a lot of our energy, but one has a very positive valence and one has a more negative valence. So the theory presumes that to balance all of these different things, what we're looking for is balance and homeostasis rather than just more and more and more.
0: Hmm. So, Jeff Hall, you set out to both replicate the finding, this common idea that more frequent social interaction leads to well-being, and then to also test some of the hypotheses and ideas that come out of this communicate-bond-belong theory. So what exactly, how how do you set up an experiment to do that, and what what do you look for?
1: Yeah. um, One way we thought about this is that I'm a big fan of capturing people where they are in their regular everyday lives. And there's this wonderful tool that's called experience sampling. And what it is is that it pings people throughout the day five to seven times and says, what are you doing right now? You know, are you alone? Are you with someone? What did you talk about with whom? What was it like? And you do that for several days in a row.
0: So people like download an app to sign up for the study or something like this, and, and you ping them several times a day to ask what they're doing?
1: You got it. We actually recruit people and pay them to do it because it's quite a lot of obligation for research participants. Um, so for example, in the first study, there was 116 participants that we paid for five days and then in the um, third study we actually recruited 127 people that was over the course of seven days and so in both cases these were paid participants the second sample was all uh, made up of people who were from california and were working adults and the first sample was a split between students and working adults And then the other technique we used was something called a diary study, which is basically at the end of the day, you report what happened during that day and how you felt and the kinds of things that you did focused on social interaction. So I took all three of these uh, samples with people throughout the country and had over 10,000 moments or days of records of what they were doing with their time, who they were interacting with, and what they felt about it. And we combed through those in order to test five different aspects of the communicate bond belong theory.
0: So what are those? The first
1: one is that we looked at this idea of what I call a striving communication episode. And in past research, I identified four ways that we have a communication episode that seemed to really matter. And the four are, joking around, Catching up, a meaningful conversation, and expressing affection. Now, what's wonderful about these to me is that if you take them all together, they actually look quite dissimilar to one another, yet they all have similar aspects. They all tend to be pretty energy-intensive activities, right? They're things that require a lot of focus, a lot of uh, attention to another person and partner responsiveness. They also tend to be things which are relatively rare um, in terms of your daily interaction. The most common daily interaction you have is things related to your job or to school. So, the argument that I was making from there is that when we have more of those, then people are going to experience, you know, they're going to report higher levels of global well being. What's interesting is this is one of those ones that I tested out that actually really made a difference how you measured it, because it seems that what really matters is at the end of your day that you have some. Right? Some portion of your daily time was spent on those four different types of interaction was what matters. But on any given moment, more and more and more don't seem to matter that much. Hmm. And the way that I interpret that data is to essentially say that we need these kind of strong, striving communication episodes to be a, a part of our recipe of social interaction, but they don't need to constitute the entirety of it.
0: That's, I guess, where alone time as well might come into this idea of a balanced social diet. How much do we know about the importance of alone time and, you know, that being distinct, of course, from being lonely?
1: What's fascinating is we know very little about it. I mean, I find it incredible because as a person who has been trying to study social interaction for a while now, the research that I comb does not really talk about what it means to be alone. There are people who approach alone time in a different way. You're right. Loneliness researchers are very concerned about that, for example, Um, and also people who tend to think of the idea of um, other behaviors like reading or exercise or whatever, things that you might do by yourself, although they don't study it in relation to a social interaction as being the opposite of that. Hmm. Um, But you're bringing attention to something I think is fascinating. The most surprising thing about the results from my perspective and that of um, Andy, my co-author, was that how people felt when they were alone was one of these strongest predictors of global well-being compared to all of these things. So specifically, when people felt quite comfortable and content being alone, this was a very strong predictor of these global life satisfaction variables.
0: Is it that being satisfied with your social interactions is predicated on being comfortable alone? Or is it that being satiated socially enables you to be happy being alone sometimes?
1: Personally, I would argue for the latter. In prior research that I've done, it, what happens is is when people have one of those striving communication episodes that I just described, later in the day they're more likely to be alone and happy to be that way. So what it seems to suggest is that it kind of satiates that need to belong within our days, and then we're okay to be alone. And that's what I have a problem with, a more linear model that just says more is better.
0: You know, many Americans these days feel like they're just too busy Um, with activities and jobs to actually ever see friends, hang out, be social. And also, you know, we're seeing more and more uh, social interaction happening via maybe social media, happening online, but not face-to-face. What are some of the ramifications of that for individual well-being and also societally?
1: I think they're huge. I mean, to be honest, I I have a very personal and and, uh, social-level concern that this is the life that we're living right now as Americans – I have a book coming out next year that's called Relating Through Technology. And in the last chapter of the book, I do an analysis taken from the American Time Use Survey, which is done by the U.S. Department of Labor. And in that analysis, I show that the amount of time that we're spending in face-to-face interaction has been going down for the last 15 years. And these are nationally representative adults. They're talking about how they use every minute of every day, and it's going down. And one of the things that's interesting is it's not being replaced by phone calls or Skyping or things like that, But the amount of time we spend on media of various sorts is going up. But this is the thing that you said I think that's important on this. The people who spend the least time in face-to-face interaction, the two activities that are most strongly negatively correlated with that is time at work and time commuting. We're living far away from our jobs and we're working more and more hours at Americans. And it seems to be the case that we're also having less and less social interaction, perhaps as a consequence of that, although that relationship is not causal. So there is a deep concern, and I, I share that concern. And it's partly the reason that I, you know I'm trying to sort of talk publicly about the importance of us prioritizing our relationships and time together.
0: Hmm. But the
1: other piece that I want to add to this is – one of the other Communicate Bond Belong specific theories that we tested in the paper was about the idea of volition or choice on days where people felt like they had more choice or were interacting in the ways that they were by choice, like they wanted to be being there talking to that person. The less lonely they were, the happier they were with their life and the more positive emotions they experienced. So this idea of having choice in how you interact actually is a key part of both the theory and also in the results of the study.
0: Of course, this time of year, often um, we tend to have an opposite problem, which is being overloaded with social interaction and not necessarily feeling like we have a choice, right? (laughs) Um, So especially given that your research is showing that, you know, some alone time is part of a a healthy balance of social interaction, any advice for navigating the holidays? Or is it just something where (laughs) you hold your breath and you know that it's going to end in a a few weeks?
1: Oh, that's fabulous. Uh, So a couple thoughts on that. One thing is, I think, We understand that in some ways spending time with our family is important, and we all feel that obligation during the holiday time a lot. But what's kind of odd is is that because it's combined with very little choice and a lot of constraints in the sense that you have to do it on this day or in these ways, and that also goes with work colleagues at holiday parties or otherwise, I think that those two things might cancel each other out somewhat. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) I'm not so sure that feeling no volition or no choice in the matter is a good thing. But specifically, I think to your point, one thing that I wonder about, and I I don't have um, clear evidence to support this, but I wonder whether or not families who are actually comfortable with members who are visiting or otherwise spending a few hours by themselves kind of sequestered in their guest room or – you know, relaxing and reading or taking a nap or whatever, that actually might be a pretty good practice, right? You don't have to spend every single moment of the time you're visiting with people in interaction with them. That's unlikely to be a good recipe for feeling better.
0: And maybe giving people a break might allow for more quality interactions when you actually are together. Bingo. That's Jeff Hall. He's professor of communication studies at the University of Kansas. Jeff, thanks so much, and uh, enjoy the holidays.
1: (laughs) I hope that to all of your listeners as well.
0: And that's our show. I'm Heather Goldstone. Thanks for listening. Living Lab Radio is produced by WCAI in Woods Hole and WGBH in Boston. It's produced by me, Elsa Partan, and Heather Goldstone is executive producer. Theme music by Stellwagen Symphonette.